Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you here this morning. Great to see your faces, at least the top halves of some of your faces, but um, half a face is better than no face, though, so it's great to see you guys here. I'm glad you're here. We've been waiting for this for a long time, as Adam said. Uh, looking forward to seeing everybody back here. We've missed you guys. We've missed you in this room, and for those of you who are joining us online as well, thank you for joining us online. We are all live together for the first time since Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday was the last time we did a live streaming service, and so being live together again, whether you're here in person or at home online, is, uh, is, is a special thing. We're all here together in spirit. So uh, thank you for joining us again this morning. Now this is, uh, this personally, this is a very special day for me to be regathering again. Um, I don't know if you remember this and really why would you remember this, but it was about a year, it was almost exactly a year ago today, which was the first day that I met many of you. I was here on June 15th last year to preach my first sermon here at North as part of the candidating process for this role. And uh, so this is a special day for me. I remember, I remember last year because it was Father's Day and it was also uh, my wedding anniversary with my wife Katie. And so it was a special day for us. Um, and so this has added significance for me today that we're regathering on this Sunday in particular. And so there's a lot to celebrate today. And as we continue our series this morning, in, uh, our series on crucial questions where we have been answering the questions that you have been giving to us online about the Bible, about Christianity, about faith and culture, we are going to continue that celebratory mood as we explore our question for today, which is what will heaven be like? It's going to be a fun discussion. Thank you to our kids for joining, uh, for kicking us off this morning with that video. I think there was a lot of wisdom in what was being said, especially, I especially like the first remark there, heaven is going to be fun. And I really think that's true. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. We're going to unpack that idea over the next couple of weeks as we talk about what we might expect heaven to look like. One of the things I took from that, though, is, you know, did you notice how many kids said flowers are going to be there, right? Can you tell their kids from the desert, kids who live in the desert? Right? That was their biggest wish. They want to see flowers everywhere for once in their life, right? And so a lot of things to look forward to as we talk about this. Now, obviously, the tone today is going to be different maybe than it was last week, but I think that's Part of the beautiful things about the Bible is you can talk about something like racism one Sunday and then you can come back and talk about what heaven's going to be like the next Sunday and it's all in one book giving us instructions from God's word. Now certainly these things aren't related in a lot of ways they're actually connected. A lot of the topics that we've talked about throughout this series actually we're going to be hitting on this morning and we're going to be connecting the dots and so that's been intentional throughout our series, but it's going to help us answer this question for today. So let's start with, let's start here. Let's start with our ideas about heaven. Just as we ask the question to our children, what will heaven be like? I'm wondering for you, what comes to mind? What's the first thing, the unfiltered thought that comes to mind when you think about heaven? What's the first thing that hits you? Maybe it's, if you're like most people, maybe it's something like this. See this cartoon here. You, we've got all these cartoonish images, I think, in some ways in heaven. If you can't read, I, I just kind of picked one of these. There's a hundred of these things on Google if you just look it up. But I picked this one. I don't know why. It doesn't have anything to do with the message, but I thought it was funny. It's a guy in a little red devil costume, and he says, sorry about this. I died at a costume party, if you can't read that. So I, I thought it was funny. But it's, it's almost like caricature on top of caricature for this kind of cartoon. And, 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 and it's funny. We laugh at it. But at the same time, in a lot of ways, inside and outside the church, when we think about heaven, in some ways, these images come to mind, right? Peter at a podium in front of the pearly gates on top of clouds, kind of talking to people and, and, and people trying to get their way into heaven. 
So we have to ask ourselves, how did we get these ideas about heaven, and are they actually biblical ideas as far as what the Bible tells us heaven is all about? Because if we're not careful, heaven can become little more than a caricature, a silly thing that we kind of pass off as something that maybe isn't that much, it doesn't have much substance in reality, and that hurts our understanding really inside as well as outside the church of what the Bible calls the hope of our salvation. I mean, this is a big deal when we stop and consider what heaven is and what it's all about. In thinking about heaven, a pastor once said, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. Keep in mind, a pastor said this, and he continues, he says, I can't stand the thought of endless tedium, to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's all so terribly boring. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. Did I mention a pastor said that? Wow. Wow. And in one sense, I agree with him. What he described there does sound boring. But is that what heaven is really supposed to be like? I know that for a long time, I used to think just like that. I used to think that's exactly what heaven was like. And so as I've matured, though, I realized that the topic of heaven has been something that I've loved to study. And as I found out more and more about it, it's something that I've actually loved to talk about. I light up when I talk about this because I'm really excited about it because I know how much it means when we begin to understand what heaven and eternity really looks like. And I think some ways it's had to do with kind of my maturing in the faith, but also just me getting older. Just in practical terms, as I get older, I realize I'm getting closer to heaven. And so I think in some ways it's become kind of this practical reality. There's this uh, immediacy to it all, and it's become more immediately relevant each day. But I think what what I've learned throughout this process is that heaven and eternity and what we consider those things to be, how we define them, are so critically important. Not just for what we think may happen one day, but how it impacts our lives today. And I know some might say, isn't it enough for us to just say that we don't know what heaven will be like, but it'll be better than we can imagine? And I believe it will be better than we can imagine, certainly. But I believe there's also a lot in our imagination, or there's a lot of room to imagine what heaven might look like based on what the Bible tells us it is going to look like. Um, And really, in our conversations with most Christians I've had, many are just kind of resigned in some ways to the belief that there isn't really a place in the Bible that describes heaven, and I think by that they mean there's not a chapter you can go to where the chapter says, hey, if you're wondering what heaven is going to be like, just read this. But I think if we look through Scripture, what we see all over the place is a description of what heaven really is like. And we we see a place like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, and it says this, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And I think some people, can, some people come to the conclusion, well, we just don't know, and so we really shouldn't think about it. There's not much to talk about, and we'll, it'll just be what it is when we get there. But we forget often the very next verse, which is verse 10, that says this. These things, which are these things that God has prepared for us, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, how has God revealed that to us through the Spirit? most directly through his word, the Bible. So, with that in mind, what if there is a way for us to know what heaven will be like? Or even, as I want to talk about today, what if the entire Bible is about what we call heaven? Would we be more interested in talking about it then? Again, I really believe that this is important in terms of how we understand what heaven is because it has a real impact on our lives right now. And more, to just, more than just to give us a hope for a future, but also to define what the calling looks like for us who follow Jesus today. And so how does your view of heaven, the view that you have right now, impact your life on a daily basis? Do you think about heaven often? 
Do you think about it on a daily basis? Does it impact the decisions that you make? Does it impact the thing, the way that you see God, the way that you see yourself in relationship to God? If you can't answer that, over the next couple of weeks, I want to help you answer that question from what we see in Scripture. And, and we're coming to the conclusion to answer the question, not just that heaven exists, because hopefully we would say, yes, heaven does exist, if we believe what the Bible has to say, but specifically answering this question, what will heaven itself be like? I really enjoyed, again, hearing the kids talk about what heaven is going to be like, and certainly some of them were really funny because one of the great things about listening to kids is their imaginations can go wild, right? And you hear them say all kinds of things, and, 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 and then we laugh because their imaginations go a little bit wild, but at the same time, I think what is key to this is having an imagination of what heaven is supposed to look like. I think in a lot of cases, we think to ourselves, well, those things are for kids to discuss, and that's great that they discuss it, and they have these imaginations. But for us who grow and mature in our faith, there are certainly more serious things we should be talking about as far as theology and, and what life looks like and that kind of thing. But I want to challenge you this morning that maybe we have to get back to that childlike faith and wonder and that childlike aspect of imagination to really grasp what God is trying to communicate about what heaven is. And if we do, I believe that it blesses us and encourages us tremendously. Francis Schaeffer once said this, the Christian is the really free man. He is free to have imagination. This too is our heritage. The Christian is the one whose imagination should fly beyond the stars. We're going to have to have our imagination fly behind the, beyond the stars in some way to really grasp what heaven is going to be like. And so this morning and next week, I want to encourage you to just kind of let your imaginations run wild. I know you don't hear that much in church, but I want to say that to you this morning. Let your imaginations run wild as we talk about heaven, because I don't believe that you can out-imagine God, especially when it comes to something like heaven. So we've talked about essentials and non-essentials a lot in this series, in our Crucial Questions series, and I just want to say this on the front end, you know, what we believe heaven will be like is technically a non-essential. In other words, what you believe heaven to be like is not going to determine whether or not you end up there or whether or not you're actually a Christian. So it's a non-essential in that regard. But at the same time, as I said earlier, I believe it's critically important for us to grasp this. And there's a lot that we don't know about heaven. We're going to talk about that as well in the next couple of weeks. But I would say this. If when you think about heaven, you're either scared or bored or indifferent, and it doesn't automatically cause you to just kind of lift up in joy, I want to encourage you with a different kind of impression about what heaven really is over the next couple of weeks. So I mentioned earlier, there was a time in my life uh, when I... Uh, when I thought that heaven was a lot like what our pastor described earlier, who was bored by it. And honestly, that's what I thought for a long time. And I remember trying to convince myself as an early Christian that heaven was going to be more exciting maybe than what I imagined it to be. And so at the time, I thought it was really like clouds and playing harps all day and having an eternal worship service. And so I thought to myself, well, maybe it'll be fun. I mean, I've never played the harp before, and maybe that'll be really fun to play the harp. And nothing against harpists. If you're a harpist out there, I'm not shaming, shaming harpists, but at the same time, it didn't sound that appealing, but I tried to talk myself into it. Well, maybe it'll be fun. I've never floated on a cloud before, and maybe that'll be really fun as well, and in the end, I just get to a place where I thought, well, at least it's going to be better than hell, so I guess I'd rather be there, right? And so I was in this kind of phase, but, but, but here's the thing, is that there was a moment when this changed completely for me, and I would say that it changed more than just my understanding of heaven and what will come, but it actually, it actually completely changed my faith and who I understood myself to be in relationship to God. I was in seminary at the time, and it was about 2004, 2005, and this book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn had, Alcorn had just come out. And 
Uh, at that time, you had to go to bookstores to buy books. Amazon really wasn't that big of a thing. And so I would go to this Christian bookstore all the time down from where I was in seminary. And uh, I remember walking in the first time and when Heaven was this brand new book, and you know how it is in bookstores, they put up displays and then they put the book like on end caps, they put posters all over the room, and then even if in the bathroom sometimes they have posters about this book, right? They're really trying to promote the book. And so I'm walking in and like day after day, week after week, they're promoting this book over and over again. And so I finally stop and I look at it because it wasn't too interesting to me. I could see Heaven on the title and again, I didn't think that much of heaven at the time, so I didn't think it would be that beneficial. But as I look closer, and this is the actual cover of the book, if you haven't seen it before, that's the cover of the book right there. And if you, if, you look, if you look closely, there is a quote at the top. And I remember reading this quote, and it said this, other than the Bible itself, this may well be the single most life-changing book you'll ever read. This is by Stu Weber. And I, I remember reading that for the first time and just scoffing to myself. Like, okay, Stu, Okay, a book on heaven, come on. A book about floating on cl clouds and playing harps all day and having an eternal worship service, thanks, but I think I'm good. And later on, fast forward a few months later, the end of the semester, that semester, I was back in that bookstore and we were getting ready to come back. I'd finished finals and Katie and I were getting ready to come back to Arizona or in Texas at the time for uh, Christmas vacation. And as we did, I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I should probably pick up a book so that I can read it over Christmas vacation. So I grabbed, I don't know what it was, maybe the marketing plan finally got to me, whatever it was, but I went and I grabbed that book, Heaven, and I started kind of, you know, thumbing through it. And I thought, you know what, this might be an interesting read, so I'll buy it and take it with me. A few days later, uh, we're in Arizona at my in-law's house, and every, it's like 11 o'clock at night, one of the nights, everybody's asleep except for me. And you know how it is when you're in a quiet house and you're the only one that can't sleep, and you're just tossing and turning, so I'm all frustrated, and I think to myself, you know what, I, I got that big old book on Heaven, I bet if I start reading that, that'll put me to sleep right away. So I pull the book out and I start reading it. And you may know how the story goes. From page one, I'm completely hooked. And you've heard of books that are page turners. This for me was a chapter turner because I just remember rifling through chapter after chapter after chapter. I couldn't put the book down. And before I knew it, I looked up and it was three o'clock in the morning. I'd been reading the book for four hours. I was like three quarters of the way through this book, which I think is like five, six hundred pages, whatever it was. But I, I had to force myself actually to put it down. And here's the thing, it was really interesting, but more than that, I felt like at that moment something happened to my faith as I read that book. It was really like my faith started to become more three-dimensional. And keep in mind, look, I was studying Christian theology and Bible full-time in seminary, and, I, and it took kind of reading through this for my faith to really come alive in a new way. And since that time, whenever I talk about this topic, I believe that when we consider this, it is a life-changing thing. It turns out that old Stu Weber was right. This is a life-changing kind of subject. And I guess it wasn't necessarily because the, just because of the book. I mean, the book was great, and it is great, and I would recommend it, and I actually draw a lot from it, and will draw a lot from it over the next couple of weeks. But I think what really happened is that for the first time, I really considered what the Bible had to say about heaven, the biblical idea of what heaven really is. It opened up what I would call a biblical imagination of what really he heaven is. So I believe this is so important. We're going to take a couple weeks to talk about it, but here's the thing. I think as we get down to this, as I mentioned before, there are two very critical things that this impacts in terms of what we think about every day as Christians. We think about every day who we understand God to be, hopefully, and how, we and how we're called to follow Jesus in the world today. And as I said earlier, our understanding of heaven impacts both of those things directly, whether we realize it or not. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 say this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not things that are on earth. Now, these verses are not about escapism, like all that we should think about is the life to come and the life that we're living now doesn't actually matter. In fact, this is just the opposite. What we think about the life to come impacts how we live out right now. The purpose, the urgency, and the life that we live out now from the right perspective. And we're told to focus here on the promise of heaven so that we can live fully and faithfully right now. And that's what understanding this is all about. C.S. Lewis says it this way, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. In other words, what we call heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective at this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Now we've said from the beginning of the series that we're focusing on what the Bible has to say about any given question that we're exploring on any given week. And when we mention imagination this morning, again, what we're talking about is really a biblical imagination. How, do, how does the Bible guide our imagination to understand what heaven will be like? Because, of course, we need imagination to understand this. None of us are in heaven right now. We're not physically touching it. We're not physically in the place. And so we have to imagine in some ways what it will be like. But the Bible gives us a lot of instructions in that. Now, some of the questions that we got online and probably most of the questions that you were wondering are probably more directly to the point. Things like, uh, will we recognize other people in heaven? Will we see our loved ones that have gone before us again? And will we re reunite with them? Will we eat and drink in heaven? Maybe will we see our pets in heaven? And all of those we'll, we'll answer, we're actually going to save for next week. And by the way, let me say this, though. I personally believe there is a strong case biblically to answer yes to all of those questions. But I don't want this to be just Jay's opinion about the way this looks. I want us to really look at what does the Bible have to say about this. What is that biblical imagination that we have to form so that we can answer questions like that and any other questions that come to the surface about what heaven will be like in the correct light. So I think the first thing we need to do today is to clear the slate of the ways that we have picked up ideas about heaven that are not biblical. In other words, if our concept of heaven were just about us hanging out on clouds and playing harps all day um, and playing How Great Thou Art on our harp all day, then maybe that needs to change just a little bit. And how do we change that? Well, first we have to ask, how did we get there? How did we get to this place where heaven has become merely a caricature for us and where it's just kind of a realm out there? This is going to get a little technical just for a few minutes and a little bit academic just for a few minutes, but hang with me because I believe that what we're about to talk about uh, has more implications than just our understanding of heaven. It actually impacts how we uh, live in respect to the world that we're in right now. And it starts with the early church. Going all the way back to the early church in the first century, really the world that the early church emerged out of, we have some insight into what that they, were, they were experiencing. Because if you read through the New Testament letters, one of the things you'll see the New Testament writers do, whether it's Paul or Peter or John, is that in many cases they are, they are combating and writing against the false doctrine and the false teaching that was getting into the early church. Now what exactly was that false teaching that they were writing against? Well, in nine times out of ten, it had to do with one or two major streams of teaching. One was uh, the teaching that, uh, of a group of people who were known as the Judaizers. And this is who Paul wrote against directly in the book of Galatians and in some places in the book of Romans. And the Judaizers basically said, well, it's okay for you to believe in Jesus, but in order to really be God's people, you have to continue to practice the Jewish laws, traditions, and religious rites. Okay, so Paul wrote against those guys. That's one stream. 
The second stream is the one that we really want to address this morning, and it was known as Gnosticism. And maybe you've heard about, maybe you've heard the word Gnosticism before. Gnosticism is a broad term that really describes a set of beliefs that really come from ancient pagan religions and Greek philosophies. It's like if ancient pagan religions and Greek philosophies got together and had babies, they would have Gnostic babies. And all these Gnostic babies are kind of like influencing the church in different ways, because there's all kinds of different types of Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Now, one specific set of Gnostic beliefs is one that was particularly damaging to our understanding of heaven and has lasted really in the church all the way to the present day in some, in some cases and in some forms. And in a lot of ways, we haven't really been able to get it completely out. But it was a form of Gnosticism that came to be known as Platonism, Platonism after the um, Greek philosopher Plato. And Plato essentially believed this. He believed that in order to be true and in order to have the light in you, you had to, as much as you can, escape the physical world. Because everything that was true and everything that was light was in the immaterial world. And so the physical world, our bodies, the world that we live in, those kinds of things are just shells that on your quest to truth and on your quest to light, you need to escape from. Now, you can see how those kinds of teachings might impact our understanding of heaven, how it might impact our faith, in general, and it surely did. And that belief alone influenced so much of Christianity that goes beyond just our understanding of heaven. It impacts our very ideas about what it means to be a Christian in this world. And you often hear it expressed in the sentiment, if it's all going to burn, who cares anyway, in reference to the world that we live in, right? And this, this is actually a derivative of what Paul was writing against in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians is one of those places where Paul is writing against Gnostic belief. And you may remember as we went through Easter and the resurrection season, those kinds of things, we talked about 1 Corinthians 15 because Paul was basically trying to convince and remind the Corinthians that Jesus rose literally bodily from the dead. And what he's writing against is this Gnostic belief that had crept into the church where the Corinthians were basically saying, let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Is another way of saying, which was another way of saying basically, look, what we do with our bodies doesn't matter. Only the spiritual part of who we are matters. So we can just do whatever we want with our bodies, including engaging in debauchery and prostitution and all kinds of things that the Corinthians engaged in, and it doesn't really affect our spirits as long as our spirits are okay. And so Paul writes against this to remind them, look, this is the reality of who we are. We are physical and spiritual beings created together. Now, we've made some progress from that belief from the first century church to the modern day church, but as Randy Alcorn points out, this is still in the church a little bit. He says this, look, we are not, as Plato supposed, merely spiritual beings temporarily encased in bodies. Adam did not become a quote-unquote living being, uh, the, the Hebrew word nephesh, until he was both body and spirit in Genesis 2 uh, verse 7. We are physical beings as much as we are spiritual beings. Look, the Hebrew word that uh, Alcorn points out here is really important. It's this word nephesh. And this word nephesh tells us a lot about who we are as human beings. If we're, going with, if we're going by what the Bible says, the Bible tells us that we are spiritual and physical beings joined from eternity, and that's God's original design. I think that's important to think about because we have a tendency to think about our, human, our, our humanity in different aspects. We think about mind and body and spirit and all of those things, but we don't think about always how those things go together. Now, the word nephesh is most commonly translated in our English versions as the word soul. Now, how many, when you think of the word soul, just think about the immaterial part of our bodies? Like, we've got, we've got an immaterial part, which is our soul, and then the part that's our body, and these things are two separate things. Well, that's not really a biblical understanding. It's more of a Gnostic understanding of who we are. 
Because the Bible from the beginning says nephesh is actually who we are. We are nephesh's. We don't have a nephesh in terms of having a soul. We are actually nephesh's. So I'm a nephesh, you're a nephesh, everyone's a nephesh. Because body and soul are combined eternally from the beginning and are designed from eternity to continue together. That's God's original design. From creation to now and into eternity, spirit and body are never to be separated. Now, that's a human being. So what does that have to do with heaven? Well, a simple answer is that if we are physical beings created for eternity, then that means that we should be in a place that is a physical place for eternity. And that's exactly what we find in the Bible when we talk about heaven. That heaven is not merely this realm that we float around in, but it's a physical place for people with physical bodies. This is why Jesus was resurrected with a physical body, and he told the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you to be, that where I go, you may be with me. And because it's one thing to say that we have physical bodies and we need a place to go, but there's a bigger picture here about what heaven is itself. And I think asking the question what it is and why does it exist is really important. To get there, let me ask you the question, where is the first place that heaven is actually mentioned in the Bible? You guys know? If you know, I'll give you a prize. I don't hear any answers, so I'll go ahead and answer it for you. The very first verse of the Bible. Very first verse of the Bible. Genesis 1 says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And no, the word heavens doesn't merely just refer, refer to the skies in this case. The Hebrew understanding of this was that the heavens is the place where God dwelt. So what this is saying is that this is a deliberate joining of heaven, the dwelling place of God with the dwelling place of man, which is the earth. And here's why this is important to know. This is more than just a statement to introduce the creation account or even just to introduce the Bible itself. This is a statement of about what the entire Bible is about for us, what God is doing, that from the beginning, heaven and earth are being joined together, the dwelling place of God with the dwelling place of man. And that's how it was supposed to be from the beginning. Now, we know as we've gone through this series and we've talked about how sin broke things from the beginning, starting in, Ge in Genesis chapter 3, that things happened all throughout God's creation. One of the things that sin did was break this cosmic connection between heaven and earth. So that the story of God's redemption is actually God bringing back the overlapping of heaven and earth together. Here's another way of saying that. Despite the fact that we always talk about going to heaven, the Bible never talks about us going to heaven, quote-unquote, as if it were some place that we're out there. In fact, what we get in Scripture is a lot more of heaven coming down to earth and heaven and earth being joined together, or as Revelation 21 says, the new earth. Now, as you think about that, you may realize this has all kinds of implications for how we live today. We're going to get to that a lot next week. But, but, but keep this in mind. In the Bible, this starts with Eden, this place where God's dwelling place and the, and the dwelling place of man joins together, where they overlap. After the fall, human beings are removed from Eden, and the next place we see where God's dwelling place intersects with the dwelling place of man is in the tabernacle during the Exodus. And then from the tabernacle, we go to the temple, and then from the temple, we see the temple's fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, who of course John's referring to as Jesus, and the, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him was not anything that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now what do you notice right away as we read this? 
From the very beginning, John uses that phrase, in the beginning. And what John is doing is he's joining this account to the last time that the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of man were put together in the way that they were supposed to be. At the very beginning of creation, in the beginning, the heavens and the earth were created. And what John's doing is announcing this as, now the Son of God has come again. The dwelling place of God is with man. It's why Jesus said the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand when he started his ministry. Many scholars understand this to be the announcement of the new creation. If Genesis 1 was the announcement of the original creation, John chapter 1 is the announcement of the new creation. Again, where the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of man are joined again permanently and forever. Now, John 1 is such an important text. I don't know that we fully get it all the time. We like to quote it, and there's a lot that's in there. But I think John 1 is critical for, for, for setting a proper biblical imagination and a, and a biblical paradigm for viewing heaven. What it presents to us about what heaven is is so critically important. And you might read through John 1. You might know this chapter really well. And you might be asking me, what in the world does that have to do with heaven? Well, I want to give you three, character, three key characteristics about heaven that come directly out of John chapter 1. And then that's going to form our discussion for next week. So what we can say about this is I give you these uh, key qualifications and we close this morning. I want to say this, that if something fits these qualifications in terms of asking the questions that, you know, really we've been asking, which is, are we going to, are there going to be other people there? Are we going to recognize our loved ones? Are we going to have, you know, food and drink? And are we you know, going to see our pets or whatever it may be, right? What we're going to do, if something fits these three qualifications, then we have no reason to assume that it's not going to be there. Doesn't mean that it's automatically going to be there, but we have no reason to assume, according to what Scripture says, that it's not going to be there. And here they are, right? These three characteristics. This is what heaven is. First of all, heaven is a place for God's dwelling. It is a physical place where God dwells again with human beings that he created so that he would dwell with them. Nephesh's for eternity. And as John 1 says, Jesus dwelt among us, and he will dwell with us again for eternity. And talking about heaven and calling it the new earth, Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That second part right there brings us to the second key characteristic of heaven. Heaven is a place with God's blessing. It's a place where God's blessings overflow everywhere. That many of the things that we call blessings today will be there in heaven and will be multiplied beyond what we can imagine. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not, uh, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Look, I honestly believe this. God is not going to scrap and burn all the blessings of this world. He created it, sin broke it, and I don't think he's going to give the victory to sin. I think he's redeeming it, and he's going to multiply those blessings one day, his original design for eternity, for us to enjoy. And I think one thing you see in John chapter 1, verse 12, is that delighting, that God delights and God is glorified when his children enjoy the blessings that he gives us. It's much like us as parents. We give our kids, the, we bless our kids and they're encouraged and we see the joy come on their face. It blesses us and it encourages us as parents. And finally, heaven is a place of God's glory. Again, John 1 says that Jesus possesses in himself 
the glory of the Father. Colossians 1.19 says, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You know, the word for glory in the New Testament is a word that literally means weight. And so when we think about God's glory, it's like the weight of God will be everywhere in heaven. The substance of God will be everywhere. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God will spread all over the places so that everything we do, everything that we engage with will be glorifying to God and we'll feel the weight and the substance of his glory in everything that we participate in. So we've done a lot of heavy lifting this morning about heaven, kind of laying the groundwork for this. Next week, we're going we're gonna to continue this discussion and we're going to talk about Maybe what's the more fun stuff, I guess? Maybe you found this fun. I find this kind of stuff fun, but maybe you don't. We're going to talk a little bit more about answering those direct questions about what will it look like specifically and those questions that, we've, that have been asked online as well as the questions that we've talked about here this morning. So I, but remember this for next week. Three key characteristics of heaven. Heaven is a place for God's dwelling. It's a place with God's blessing, and it's a place of God's glory. And, you know, we're not going to have a chance to do our response time. As you see, it's not set up. We do, typically do a response time if you're joining us for the first time. Uh, but because of distancing and those kinds of things, we're doing things a little bit differently this morning. And I want to say this. As we are talking about heaven this morning, um, I think John Piper said it well. The point, of, uh, I would say this. Well, let me say this, and then I'll give you the John Piper quote. The point of heaven is Jesus himself. And John Piper said this. If you could be in heaven without Jesus, you probably won't be there. In other words, if you could be satisfied being in heaven without Jesus being there, you probably won't be there because the point and the glory of it all is the fact that we get to be with Jesus. And so I want to remind you this morning as we close, I want to challenge you. If, if you're in a place right now where you're not really sure what that looks like, what does it mean to enjoy wanting and looking forward to who Jesus is? I would encourage you to think a little bit more about that. You know, the gospel, the good news of Jesus tells us that the reason that Jesus died and came to us is he came to reconcile us to himself and to reconcile us to God the Father. That he died so that our sin might be forgiven, that that obstacle, that that barrier between us and God, that chasm between us and God might be bridged so that we can be reconciled to the Father. And that's what heaven is all about, this dwelling place again of God with man where we can dwell with God again for eternity. And so that's our understanding of heaven. I want to invite you to consider that this morning. If that's something you've never considered, if that's something that you've never made a decision to believe, I would encourage you this morning to think through that. That although we have sinned, and although we have sinned against God directly, that he loved us so much, and he wanted to be with us so much to reconcile us to himself, that he sent his son, and he went to the cross, and he rose again so that we might have new life. And so, as you're thinking about that, I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for all of us, and we'll call the band. If the band would join us um, on stage here, we're going to pray together. And Father, we come to you this morning blown away by the idea that you would love us so much and give us your grace and mercy to reconcile us to yourself. And Lord, I, I, uh, every time I think about that, I am amazed at how much your grace and mercy extends into our lives. We know that we have sinned, Lord. We know that we have fallen short. We know that we have done wrong, not just to others, but ultimately done wrong to you in what we have done and how we have sinned. Our sin is ultimately against you, and so the fact that you would forgive us of all sins, past, present, and future, by the loving sacrifice of your son Jesus is an amazing thought to consider. And I pray for those of us who are in this room or those of us who are watching online right now, if we have not made that decision to place our trust in the sacrifice of Jesus once and for all for forgiveness of sins and for the power to reconcile 
us to our Creator for eternity. Lord, would you fill our hearts with an understanding of what that means? Would you give us the faith to believe so that truly, as we think about heaven, the most beautiful thing about it would be that we are reunited with our Creator and that we dwell in the glory of Jesus forever. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Thank you again, everybody. Great to see you this week. Thank you, Cody, again, for joining us. Welcome. Um, we uh, we want to say uh, maybe not goodbye, but farewell to somebody this morning, uh, Alyssa Klein. This is her last Sunday up here. She's over here on the Keys. If you, I'm sure many of you have met Alyssa. Her and her family have been here for almost since the beginning of North, as from what I understand, right? And Alyssa served in various roles in our church. And uh, we this is more of a sending off. We're sending you out because she's going over to a Central Christian Church to start an internship over there to continue her journey in ministry. And so if you have a chance, just let Alyssa know how much you appreciate her. Will we give her a round of applause right now? Thank you so much for all you've done here at North, and we'll miss you, but God bless you as we send you out, and we're excited to hear about the next leg of your journey. So thank you so much, Alyssa. All right, guys, have a great week. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.